Amen. We serve a good God. Amen. He's a God of blessing. He's a God that's for you today. Did you know your, your life is filled with blessing? It's full of God's blessing. You know, the reality is it's not that we can't find things to thank God for. The problem is our life is so full of God's blessing that they've become commonplace. We overlook the blessing of God. I, I was reading in a, in a book some facts about the world that we live in. And the truth is that you might think you're sitting still this morning, but in actuality, this is a miraculous illusion. What we're experiencing right now. Planet Earth is spinning on its axis a thousand miles per hour. Right now. Every 24 hours, planet Earth pulls off a celestial 360. Not only that, but we are hurling through space at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That's 87 times faster than the speed of sound. So even on the day you feel like you didn't accomplish much, consider the fact that you traveled 1,599,793 miles through space. God is so good all around us. His blessings, His faithfulness. When's the last time you actually stopped and thanked God for gravity, keeping it together? Some of y'all are cursing gravity. Your bones hurt and your joints ache. Do you know this? During the first month of new life, a newborn infant is learning so many new things that the number of neurological connections called synapses between the brain cells increases from 50 trillion in the first month to one quadrillion. Just to put it in perspective, if you had that same ratio of growth for the rest of the body, that a one-month-old baby would weigh 170 pounds. That's the miracle that's happening in the nursery right now that we're not really thinking of giving God praise for today. Did you know your heart beats on average three billion times during your life? Have you thanked Him for any of them recently? A billion times. The Bible says this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You know how many you're going to have today? About 23,000. Why don't we just stop right here and use the next one with purpose? Can we just give God praise today? He's good. Come on, let's thank Him. Father, thank You so much for Your goodness. Thank You for Your faithfulness. Thank You for Your love. God, we praise You. We praise You. We praise you. i got to give you one more fact because some of you didn't know this. You're working too hard this morning. It takes 43 muscles in your face to frown. Here's the good news. It only takes 17 to smile. So some of y'all just need to relax. Give your face a break. Come on and smile. You're using about 26 too many muscles right now. Just smile. God is good. He's faithful. Listen, my hope in this series is not to get you to just feel good. My hope in this series is not to, to help you to uh, try to pursue an emotional state during this Thanksgiving series. My hope is that God would help you to begin to see His goodness like never before. As that song that Heather so beautifully sang communicates, that sometimes His blessings are in disguise. My hope is that you'll begin to see the goodness of God at every turn. That you'll begin to establish in your life a solid foundation of gratitude. 
Not just something that comes and goes, but something you can build on. That Thanksgiving is not going to just be an expression of your emotions, but a platform that everything proceeds from in your life. That it becomes, Thanksgiving becomes the lens that you look through. That everything's colored with praise. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 17, And whatever you do, the Bible says, Can we just say whatever? Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Can I just ask you to just uh, do a little self-analysis? Does your gratitude include whatever? Or, Or has it been limited to certain circumstances, to certain feelings, to certain emotions or times or places like this? Does your gratitude include whatever you do? I want to take a few moments this morning. and I want you to turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke. I want to look at a story in chapter 17 that communicates to us just two of the reasons that we have to be grateful. That's right. I'm only covering two of them. And the series called 10,000 Reasons. So I hope you'll join us in 2024 for the conclusion. I, I want to show you a story here in Luke 17. In fact, we're going to just read it together. If you have your Bibles, if you're able, would you stand one more time today? We're going to just read this story. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. Follow along with me. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy, met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? That's a rhetorical question. Where where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Father, I just pray in these next few moments as we unpack this text that God you would cause us to realign our lives around a heart of thanksgiving God speak to us minister to our hearts as only you can do through a word that is living and active in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen you can be seated again I want to just tell you a couple of things out of this little story first of all number one Jesus responds to faith that's good news If you needed one reason to praise God this morning, it's this. Jesus responds to faith. Luke makes it really clear in the beginning of this story that this is not a convenient time in the life of Christ. In fact, this is not the only place. Several places in Scripture. Uh, I'll just mention a couple of them quickly. You don't have to turn to them. But in Luke 9, in verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out 
for Jerusalem. This is the end of his ministry. He's moving towards the cross, towards Calvary. He's got a work to be done and he knows it. And so Luke in this passage and then in others begins to clarify that Jesus is on a mission like never before. In Luke 13 in verse 22, it says, Then Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And then when you get one chapter past our story in Luke 17, Jesus makes it abundantly clear as he's talking to his disciples in Luke 18. He says these words. It says he took the 12 aside and he told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the son of man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus is on a mission. It's very clear what he's going to Jerusalem to do. And this story in Luke 17 begins with the words, Now on his way to Jerusalem. It's it's Luke's way of saying that if there was ever a person who could use the rationalization that I'm too busy. I don't have time. This is an inconvenience. This is not on the calendar. If anybody could do that, it'd be Jesus in this moment. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's headed to Calvary. He's going to die for the sins of mankind. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And yet, these ten lepers cry out to Jesus. Can I just tell you this morning that faith still moves the heart of God. He changes directions when he hears a cry of faith. He stops what he's doing. He looks your direction when you call out to him in faith. Verse 12 said these ten men stood at a distance. Their sickness was leprosy and it was incurable. It was contagious. A diagnosis of leprosy meant that you had to be removed from the community. Because they wanted to contain the disease. It meant that if you had to come in contact with anybody, if you had to go into a a crowded place, you were required by law to let everybody know that you were unclean. Can you imagine the shame of having to make the announcement as you move down the street? Unclean! Unclean! It was their way of saying, get out of the way. You don't want to touch me. You don't want to be near me. You don't want to get what's on me. But sometimes leprosy would go into remission. And if you thought the leprosy had gone into remission, the protocol was that you would go to the priest and he would examine you and the priest had the responsibility of determining whether you could return to your home, return to your family, return to your community and to your job, or if you were in fact still unclean. And so these ten men, they see Jesus traveling the borderline there between Samaria. And they call out to Jesus And they ask him for help. And the word says that Jesus saw those men and immediately he responded to them. But the crazy thing is that Jesus doesn't challenge them to move because they've seen a miracle. He challenges them to move before they see the miracle. Look at it in the text. When he saw them. After they said, Master, have pity on us. Verse 14, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. It doesn't say he healed them. It says he saw them in their leprous condition. And he said, go show yourself to 
the priest. And I think it's fascinating that Jesus asked these men to move by faith and not by feeling because the very thing that they were missing, that they thought they needed the most, was feeling. That's what they were missing in their lives. If you've ever seen a leper colony, what you see is people who are missing digits off their fingers, of their hands and off their feet. Some are missing ears and even a nose. And, and it's not because their skin or their flesh is rotting off. That's a common misconception about leprosy. It's not that their flesh is rotting off. The, the problem is they've lost feeling. They've lost the, the blessing and the benefit of knowing pain and knowing when to recoil from something that could cause damage. And so their bones get bent out of joint and they hurt themselves, they burn themselves, they do damage to their skin and extremities because they can't feel pain. We have a condition in the United States that's similar to that. It's a rare genetic malady called congenital indifference to pain. People that literally don't feel pain. And these ten lepers were thinking, if I could just get feeling back, that's what I need. I just... I just I need to get feeling back. That's the one thing that I need today is to feel alive again. Maybe you're that way today. In a spiritual sense, you feel numb. You're feeling like, you know what? If, if I came to church because I want to feel something again. I just, everything feels stale. Everything feels dead in my spirit. It feels lifeless. There's no activity going on. And what you would love for Jesus to say to you today is, I want you to feel something, but that's not what he says. Jesus doesn't respond to feelings. He responds to faith. And the very thing that you thought you needed, God's asking you to respond to Him before you get. To not say, if I feel it, I'll be good. But to hear the words of Jesus that says, follow me. Obey my command. Don't feel it, faith it. Just just do what I tell you to do. Don't wait until the circumstances seem to have changed. Because feelings don't produce miracles. Faith does. But that verse 14, look at it again. It says, God, go show yourselves to the priest, he told them. And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went. You know, so many times we decide whether or not we're going to pursue God based on how we feel. Can I just encourage you with this? Sometimes we just need to come to the altar numb. How many times have, have you sat in a service and, and, and heard the call to come to Christ? Maybe you knew there was something you needed, but you waited for the feeling and you sat there and you were spiritually leprous and you said, I just don't feel anything today, so I'm not going to go. And we miss the miracle. Sometimes you just got to go by faith. Sometimes you got to say, I don't feel a thing this morning, but... God is God and I hear him calling my name. So I'm going to get up from this place. And I'm going to move towards God. Sometimes you have to come to the altar while you're still numb. Let me tell you a second reason today. That you have a reason to praise God. Not only does he respond to faith. But Jesus is no respecter of persons. As you look at the text. You learn that he doesn't measure us by our goodness or by our past behavior. 
He doesn't measure his response to us by anything we've done. In fact, the Bible says this, Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, for everyone, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. So here in this group of lepers, the the Bible tells us one of them was a Samaritan. Now we don't have time to go into all of the, the, the depth of history, but there was a divide. Between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews saw themselves as God's holy nation. His set apart people. But the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a group of people that when Israel, the northern kingdom had been taken into exile. They they intermarried with other nationalities. And so the people of Israel, the, the Jews, they saw the Samaritans as an idolatrous half-breed of God's people. That's how the Jews saw the Samaritans. Jesus, by the way, was a Jew. But thankfully, he didn't see them the same way. He's not a respecter of persons. When Jesus saw them in verse 14, it says he saw them. Every one of them. He didn't, he didn't look for the one who had the cleanest record. He didn't look for the one who had uh, the, the best history. He didn't care about what their nationality was, their, their age or their race or their gender. He didn't look at any of those things. Ten men cried out to him for mercy, and he responded to every one of them. Do not count yourself out for the mercy of God, because he hasn't counted you out this morning. Amen? He hasn't counted you out. And we do that. We allow the enemy to disqualify us. It's it's like you're watching a, a couple of prize fighters, and we start going down the tail of the tape, and we start seeing how we measure up to the person across the aisle. When Jesus saw those ten lepers, he didn't pick nine of them out and say, you can leave that Samaritan on the other side of the border. He saw every one of them, and he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says, as they went, they were cleansed. I love John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever, you see that? Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's a whosoever gospel. If you want a reason to be grateful today, let me give you one more. It's the fact that God's criteria for meeting your needs is not your past behavior. It's your present belief. I'm going to say that again. God's criteria for meeting your needs is not your past behavior. It's your present belief. Don't allow what has happened to keep you from what God wants to happen in your life. Don't allow what you don't feel to keep you from what God wants you to experience in your life today. He's calling us not to feel it. He's calling us to faith it. He's calling us to believe his word and to believe that he will respond to whoever, whoever calls on him. Now, let me quickly give you here the response to the miracle. In verse 15, again, it says one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. Praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Can I just tell you, as I look at that verse, I see some emphasis here on the fact that he praised with a loud voice. I see some emphasis on that he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus. This was not a measured moment of worship, church. 
This was not some patty cake praise. He came running hard after Jesus. He fell prostrate before him. He worshipped him in a loud voice. And when I read this text, you know what I see? That Jesus is not at all surprised by that. He doesn't think this guy is acting inappropriately or out of order or that there's too much fanfare or showmanship. In fact, the only thing that shocks Jesus is that this Samaritan is doing it all by himself. The the only thing that seems strange about this story is the fact that only one came back. And Jesus asked the question there in verse 17. He said, we're not all ten cleansed? I mean, nothing crazy about this worship. This is actually appropriate. You know, Romans 12, 2 tells us that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, and acceptable to God. This is our reasonable act of service. To God, it just makes sense that you would give your whole life back to Him as an offering of worship. When you get an understanding of what He did for you, this doesn't shock Jesus. What shocks Him is that nobody else came back. And I wonder, on this Sunday morning, I just wonder how many times Jesus has asked the same question as He looks at the church. I I see that praise in the front row. I appreciate that. But didn't, didn't that save them too? Didn't I change your life? Didn't I rescue you? Weren't you the one that was sick? Didn't we pray for you last month and I came through? Where are the other nine? And I just wonder how often Jesus looks at the church and wonders at the missing worship. He says in verse 18, Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? I'm going to tell you, church, this morning that joyful worship rises out of genuine gratitude. I'm not talking about stirring up emotion. I'm talking about joyful worship, the kind of worship that makes you come running to the feet of Jesus and fall on your face and lift up your voice and make a fool of yourself. The kind of worship that is joyful, that is heartfelt, it comes out of genuine gratitude. Now, I just want to share with you verse 19, because Jesus now looks at this man who has fallen prostrate before him, who is worshiping him with abandon. And it says in verse 19, Jesus said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Literally, what he said there is your faith saved you. It was his faith in Jesus that activated the miracle. Jesus responded to the faith. When he said, go and show yourself to the priest, he didn't stop and say, well, you know, I'm only supposed to go to the priest if the symptoms are gone and and I still don't feel anything and the symptoms are still here. So this might be a setup. No, he just went by faith. He went and he showed himself to the priest. And his faith activated the miracle. But Jesus says there was more that happened in this moment. It wasn't just a miracle of healing of leprosy. He said to him in that verse, your faith has saved you. See, the other nine, they experienced healing too. All ten of them were healed of their physical sickness. But their lack of gratitude caused them to miss the greater miracle. Here's what I've seen about God. He's good. He's more than good. God does miracles for people that never acknowledge him. 
And it's crazy the, the things and the people and the episodes that they'll give credit to. But the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. God does miracles for people that will never praise Him, never honor Him, never thank Him, never worship Him, but He does it anyway. He's good. He's good that way. The reality is, God has given us something greater. Greater than what we feel. He's given us faith. And if you'll put your faith in Him, in Him, He'll give you true joy. And that's what God wants you to have. That's what I want you to have as we're moving into this season of thanksgiving. I want you to find something that is deeper than an emotional response. I want you to find something that is more grounding than happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. So when things are happening that you like, you're happy. When things are not happening the way you want, you're not happening. But joy is deeper than that. Joy is not an emotion. The key to lasting joy is having gratitude for grace. And here's where we're going to land today. The key to lasting joy. Because we've all experienced joy. We've all experienced a, a moment of ecstasy. We've all been happy. But the key... To lasting joy is showing gratitude for grace. And there's a linguistic illustration of this in the Bible. Now, I don't spend too much time, and I don't imagine that you do either, reading the Greek. But if you look at these words of gratitude and grace and joy in the original language, you find some common ground. The word grace is charis. It's the grace of God. Charis. The word gratitude is eucharistia. Eucharistia. And the word joy is kara. You probably picked up on the similarity. They all have the same root word, care. C-H-A-R. It's a word... It's a word that means health and well-being, wholeness. Theologian Karl Barth said this. He said, these two words of grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. That gratitude follows grace like thunder, lightning. So here's what we're going to do at the conclusion of this service. We're going to do what we celebrate on each first Sunday of the month. And we're going to go to the table of the Lord. Communion is called the Eucharist. It's the table of gratitude. And when we celebrate communion, what we're doing is we are being grateful for grace. We're remembering what Jesus has done for us at the cross. We're remembering his sacrifice. And when we show gratitude for grace, we experience the kara, the joy, the sustaining joy of the Lord. So as we get ready to conclude this service, this is going to be our moment of response to what God might be saying. And maybe you're here today and and you could relate to spiritual leprosy. You feel like, man, I just don't feel it. And you've been waiting To feel it. I want to challenge you today. 
to wait no longer, to simply respond in faith. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. God wants you to just respond with faith and believe. The feeling will come. Maybe you're here today and and you don't know Christ. You don't have a personal relationship with him. I want to tell you today that he responds to faith. And he's no respecter of persons. This is a whosoever will invitation. Whosoever will may come.